Welcome to the Child Care Business Podcast, brought to you by ProCare Solutions. This podcast is all about giving childcare, preschool, daycare, after school, and other early education professionals a fun and upbeat way to learn about strategies and inspiration you can use to thrive. You'll hear from a variety of childcare thought leaders, including educators, owners, and industry experts on ways to innovate to meet the needs of the children you serve. From practical tips for managing operations to uplifting stories of transformation and triumph, this podcast will be chock full of insights you can use to fully realize the potential of your childcare business. Let's jump in. And we are back with the childcare uh, business podcast. Uh, it's been a few weeks, but we're excited to be back with uh, another exciting guest. And uh, we plan that the content that we share today is going to be helpful for, for a lot of you listening. So uh, I want to introduce our guest today. Uh, Taheem Clark uh, is with us. We were just talking about this. We'll get into a little bit more um, his background, but uh, from Atlanta, he's the founder of the Child Care Whisperer. And it's a business that works with child care center directors to help them meet their goals and take their centers to the next level. Um Look, his experience in early childhood education started when he was just a kid as he helped his mother at her child care center. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how many people in our industry have a similar story in terms of their roots in the industry. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit with um, Taheem as well. And, uh, you know, since that time, he's worked as a pre-kindergarten teacher, assistant center director, director of curriculum, and he's also managed centers with enrollments ranging from, you know, 80 to 200 kids. So he's got a a vast experience, a lot of different perspective points uh, on the industry and working within, you know, the four walls of a center. So we're excited to talk to him today. And uh, today we're going to talk, you know, about, you know, five tips on how um, you can improve your success as a director in a center. So, um, Taheem, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a, it's our pleasure. Now, so I, looking at your name, it's T.Y., and then we have an apostrophe and then heme. And I just want to do people call you like your friends and family and work associates. Do you go by Ty or do yeah. you go by Tahim or is it different for everybody? No, it's Ty. Um, it's- yes. Only people that really don't know me call me Tahim. And in most case, cases, they butcher it. So I just say, hey, so it's, it's Ty. <laughs> it's Ty. But yes, most people call me Ty. All right, we're going to go. That makes my job easy today. Then we'll go by Ty and I'll make sure I I think I can get that one right. So Ty, I want to, I I know we want to talk, you know, specifically about some tactical things that, you know, directors can do in their centers. I mean, it's a really hot topic around staffing and some of the challenges in the industry that are happening right now. But I just kind of want to talk a little bit about your background. I always think it's so interesting for our audience to kind of know the reference point of our guests and their relationship to our industry, how they got into it, why they were drawn to it. And I know your story, I mentioned this in kind of the reading your bio a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, I've heard this from other guests as well, which is, hey, when I was a child, my my parent, my mom typically mm-hmm. either ran a center in our home or operated a childcare center or was involved in the industry. And it sounds like that's your experience. What what can you tell us about your mom's center and maybe some of your early memories of um, that experience? So my mom's center was, it was originally a two-car garage. And uh, she, like myself, she started out in childcare at a young age. And when she started out in a young age, she knew that she wanted to be, to work in childcare. So she went and she was the mother of two. 
So she went and she converted. Uh, she has just built um built our home and she converted our two car garage into a childcare center. And I, when I'm asked this story, I never really realized how I got to this point. And I say that because. It was in that garage that I learned to restage classrooms and I learned to do all these things that I was doing for fun then, right? And who's to know that now that is something that I actually do for people at least 20 times a, a month. But uh, but it's just, it's, it's a, it, it was a great experience and it taught me how to really put your heart into what you're doing um, and how to always treat every child as if they're your own and how to always value the customer. That is where I got uh, from that experience. And, and was your mom always in childcare? Meaning did she transition into that type of work after trying other things in her life or from your earliest memories, do you remember this is what my mom did? This is what her, her career was and I grew up in it. So from my early years, that is what I remember my mom doing. Now, I remember her having like jobs like Blue Cross Blue Shield and stuff like that. But when it was, if we we're talking about passion, all of her passion uh, came from childcare. Even to this day, my mother still works in childcare. She is a director at a childcare center. Yeah, it's like it's once it's in your blood and it's kind of your passion. It's like yeah. this is the career. Now, do you remember as a like a, as a kid? Do you remember thinking, hey, this is what I want to be when I grow up? Like, I'm always so curious to hear people's stories around like, okay, and we know where you are today. But if you rewind, I know you, you know, kind of observed and were part of your mom's center. But do you remember like what you thought you wanted to be when you grow up, so to speak? And, yeah. Okay, so let's hear that. When I was growing up, I, I'm very stern and I'm very like, give me the facts. And, and prove to me the facts. So I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and uh, ultimately my goal was to become a judge. And when I told my mom that, my mom was like, mm, well, you're too biased for that. So I think maybe you should go to your second option, which was um, being a teacher. So when I went to college, my major was early, I'm sorry, elementary education. Okay. I honestly thought like, okay, the babies are too little. They're not, I'm not going to be able to really teach. That's not what I, well, that's not what I want to do. I want to be a teacher. Um, my college dropped that major. And when they dropped the major, being that I was in elementary education, my credits transferred easily to early childhood education. So that's how I got in the field. And it's just been going from there. I've been in it since then. I don't know what else I would do. I do sometimes contemplate going back to law school, but um, family law. But who knows? But right now, this is what you're doing. And when you were going to school, like, I think one of the things that's interesting, and I've heard you talk about this, and, and I've, I've seen, you know, things that you've written as well, like, there are not a lot of men serving in like director and teacher capacities in the industry. We see a lot of, you know, we see ownership that is male driven. And we see, you know, I work with a lot of consultants, and we work with a lot of like, trainers and consultants but you know it's it is unique to see men serving within the classrooms and as directors was that your experience as well like in school was it predominantly like like females that you were tracking through school with and yeah. were you aware of that at the time so in college even even when i was in the major it was i think it may have been myself and one of the males that was in the major and i don't even think he completed it like the 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 work. Um, it has always been a female dominated industry. Even when I was um 
even when I was in the in, working in centers, like even now I'm in the office at a center, right? It's always been females. I've only managed one male since I've been in childcare managing center, only one. Yeah, that that's uh that's amazing. But you 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 know you obviously bring the perspective of like you know watching your mom being involved in the industry and obviously knowing what you want to do and not being you know uh distracted by the fact that like hey i'm even though it's just me and i don't see a lot of other males you can kind of be a role model in that way and i think we need not just staffing in general but you know that type of diversity in the industry for sure so i i I love it. Like, now, do you have to have tough skin? Absolutely, you do, because I face a lot of challenges in the beginning. So you have to have tough skin. You have to know what you bring to the table and be okay with that and know that, you know, I'm not what you think I am. I'm here to actually educate the children, be that role model, so forth and so on. And it's so funny because I just uh, told my assistant yesterday that I want to be, I want to start traveling to colleges that offer the early childhood education major so that I can present that to them. Because I think that would help with the, this is rogue a little bit, but I think that would help with a lot of the, the staffing challenges. I think that if we try to reach everybody, the unfortunate truth is that we only cater to one audience and that is females, right? But it's the males that, if you look at the males that I know that are in childcare, um, those are the ones that are dedicated, that are in there doing it, that, you know, rocking and rolling with the curriculum, making it fun for the students. It's the males. Now, there's always an exception to the rule. You always have, you know, that female that is doing the same thing, but males are truly invested and they really want to make a difference. Yeah. Did you, going through school and when you kind of declared that major and then even as you've started kind of like tracking through the career in the industry, you, you mentioned things that you had to overcome. Did you kind of find yourself having to fight that stereotype and fight you know, for your place in the industry, so to speak, or I still fight for it. Still, still do. Wow, I still fight for it. Still fight for it. Um, I told I just was interviewed by uh someone here in Atlanta, and I told him that at this very same center that I'm sitting in the office in now, I remember her when I got hired. The owner, she lost parents, she lost teachers because of me being a male in the industry. There's, there's still a certain things that I will not do in the industry because I know how it looks to parents or parents may not be ready to accept that yet. So it's still, it's still a challenge, right? But that's why I tell people all the time that one, to communicate. If you communicate with the people that you are rendering a service to, then you build that understanding. And when you build that understanding, it builds a relationship. And that's what you have to nurture. Yeah. And sometimes you actually have to get into the trenches a little bit and demonstrate the body of work and actually show. And show. Yeah. And then I always went a little above, right? So I would go to their baseball games. I would do so forth and so on. So then they really began to trust me because, okay, he's really invested in my child. He's really holistically invested in my child. Yeah, that's good. And and, and maybe to a certain degree, like you said, have to do more of that than females would have to do just because you're overcoming a stereotype and breaking a mold, which is kind of what happens for anybody that's walking that path. I, I was reading, you know, really quick, just getting into like what you're doing now and the business you're operating that a lot of, you know, kind of the vision or the seeds for this business started during the pandemic. Can can you just rewind me back to what happened for you? Like, what were you doing at the start of the pandemic? And then how did this kind of birth itself and then we'll get into a little bit about what you're doing today are you trying to make me cry okay <laughs> i hope i don't so 
during the pandemic, I I like um honestly, it was the it, I, I, it was the day I tried to kill myself, and I tried to kill myself because I was at a place where I had never been before. Ever since I was sixteen, I've been working. Um, so now I, I'm 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 at a place where. I have all these bills coming in, but I don't have any employment due to the pandemic because I resigned from one job to go to another. And the day that I was supposed to start was the day the world shut down due to COVID. And waiting for unemployment, it was uh, literally three months plus before I could get any type of unemployment. Then when I finally got it, of course, the bills were coming up. So I had to backtrack and catch everything up. It was a lot. The previous savings. So at that point, I reached, I felt, was my lowest point. And People may not believe me, but I literally went to sleep and God revealed the business to me in a dream. Originally, the business was named I'm the director, but help. Because in my dream, that's what I saw. Like I saw the services. I saw the directors leading XYZ. And that's what I got up and I LLC'd it and everything. Well, I got a business coach and he asked me, well, are you married to that name? I said, well, that's what I saw in my dream. That's what I know I heard. And he was like, okay, well. And once again, the owner here, her husband was like, well, what about the childcare whisperer? Well, well, now that does the work for itself because you're going to think about the dog whisperer and so forth and so on. I was like, you know what? I could do that. And I went back and I LSC the, the childcare whisperer. And how I know that it's something that I'm supposed to be doing because all of the services that you see that I offer came from clients. Clients said, why don't you do this? Or why don't you offer this? Well, I need this. And I need it. And I, I, over time, I just started putting together packages and services that work for the needs of the people. Because what I know is that I can find a plethora of, of coaches for owners. It's rare to find a coach for a director. And that's the person that is literally running the business. When I was in corporate, they taught me that directors are miniature business owners. So I knew that what I needed was, well, what I was giving was what was needed. And it really realized that the I'm the director was held was not my, the name of the business. It was the call. I'm the director and they needed help. So that's when I got out of this business. Well, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I didn't realize that was part of the story, but, you know, sometimes those greatest, you know, like you said, dreams or seeds that get planted come from those lowest points. And so it's obviously been the case for you over the last couple of years. How did you like, so from that moment where you, you know, you got the LLC, you had the vision for the business, like just like from a, you know, how did you then start, you know, kind of executing the plan? Like, what was your first step? How did you start to market yourself and, you know, let the industry know you were there? Well, Brian, I am a, I am first to actually run a business, right? And to get my domain, my good friend, Derek Milton, paid for it for the year, right? So that was taken care of. Well, I know I needed a website because I'm a man of excellence and I'm not going to release something and don't have a website. So every day for a week, I got up and I want to tell you that I never, ever, ever created a website in my life. I sat down and I went page by page to create my website. Then I started, so Krim called me back in November and I started recording myself doing my day-to-day duties. And when I started doing that, the audience grew. They saw me doing the things that I do as a director, you know, checking on my students, getting Davis to calm down, checking on my team, so forth and so on. And, and it grew. And as it grew, that's when the services started going. So one is I, I learned the art of marketing. And when I did that, I kept going. Like I kept going after well, at this point, I didn't came too far to turn back around. So I just kept going and then 
It's only the key to it is to improve, right? If this was your standard last year, it cannot be your standard for next year. So I keep improving. I keep going. Even month to month, I keep going. I keep aiming for something higher. And that is how I stay in the face of the people and helping directors. And so if I heard you right, when you first started, were you working as a director in a center? That was what you were doing at the time. And then you started recording what you were doing on a day-to-day -day basis or- Well, when I first started, I wasn't working at all because I was unemployed. When I started with Krim in November, that's when I started recording myself doing my directorial duties. Um, and from that point forward, that's what I would, that's what I would do. Okay, got it. And so let's talk about then like, current day because i know we want to talk a little bit about specifically some of the the key points or the key you know um encouragements or lessons that you want to share with like ways that directors can be become more effective in their role is that is that kind of primarily how you focus the energy in your business tie is it i know you said it's it's primarily focused with working with directors is that what you're finding yourself spending your time on where the need is in the industry right now is to kind of equip directors in terms of the time you're spending? That's a great question. And no. Um, so in as much as I have uh, a lot of directors that are underneath me that I uh, work with, honestly, the, the, the start of it starts with the owners. Um, and it is trusting your director to be a director. Then once I address that, I have to teach the directors that, okay, these people are trusting you now. So now you have to make sure that you don't, you don't make their trust go away, that you don't, you know, you have to do your job. And that's where it goes because a lot of people have directors, but they're still doing the work, which essentially you just have someone who's opening and closing your business. So you don't have to come. You're still doing the work. And for me, that is like a, a, a nails on a chalkboard for me because when you're in corporate, you don't have that luxury. What you have is accountability. You know your job. You know what reports to do. You know what you're supposed to do. You know that your, your ultimate goal is to grow your bottom line and make sure that your customers and students are happy. So then that's what you have to do. In the event that you don't, you have someone come to speak to you. So I have to work with the owners also to get them to that mindset. And I have to work with the directors to make sure that you are not breaching their trust. Got it. I like it. So it starts with the owners of being able to let go. I mean, maybe if I summarize that, hey, you've hired somebody to be a director. You need to let them be a director and trust that process so that you can, you know, scale and you can put yourself in a position to let the director do the work. So specifically talking about directors in, because I know this is something that you're passionate about and talk a lot about. I, I know one of the things that when you break down like the, you know, the tips that you try to give directors, number one at the top of that list is, is you have found helping them identify strengths and weaknesses around, you know, how they contribute to the center. And so I'm curious if that's true, if that's like tip number one, hey, if I'm sitting down with the director, one of the first things that we're going to talk about is identifying those strengths and weaknesses. What does that look like practically? How do you help a director narrowed down on strengths and weaknesses and then maybe a, a quick follow-up to that question is why have you found that so important that a director understands that mm -hmm. because let me ask you this you what what do you work what do you do for procare uh i'm the vice president of sales so i run our sales teams 
you're the vice president for sales, right? So if you go to the president and you tell the president, hey, I don't know how to do this. Like, this is this is hard for me. I shouldn't, like, I'm struggling in this area. They're, they're going to look at you like, but you're the vice president of sales. How do you not know how to do that? What, like, that's your job, right? And as a director, what I've come to learn is that they're human. I was human. And there were things that I did not know. And because I could not go to my boss without looking incompetent, I had to struggle to figure it out. So the first thing that I do is I create this safe space, right? Hey, you're okay. If you don't know, say you don't know. That's what I'm here for, to help you. Then I tell them, so what don't, what areas aren't you good in? Because oftentimes, being that we're not good in those areas, we think that there's something wrong with us. And I do that because the next step is to that is to teach them how to delegate, right? If I'm, I'm, if I'm struggling with emailing, I'm going to hire somebody that's going to respond to my emails. Or I'm going to get somebody to, and it's the same thing with directors. If you know that you aren't good with whatever it is, identify that. Say, Mr. Ty, I'm really not good with the computer work. So give that task to your AD. And I have to do it. Well, what are you good at? And corporate, they taught me, what is your purple cow? And that purple cow is what makes your center stand out. If I drive by a cow pasture, I'm from the country. If I drive by a cow pasture and I see a purple cow, I'm immediately going to figure out why is this cow purple? I'm going to Google it and so forth and so on. So your strength is your purple cow because nobody can beat you being you. So you have to be able to identify that so that you can make sure that you put that on the forefront. I know I make good, build great relationships with my family. So then I'm going to perfect that. I'm going to put it first. I'm going to you know, make that be the reason why people stay with me. Oh, I get to talk to Mr. Ty. So I make them identify, I ask them to identify their strengths and their weaknesses so that we can formulate a plan and so that we can polish. I like that. Do you find just, you know, as you work with directors and ask them those questions about strengths and weaknesses, would you say that most directors are aware of that? Like that they can easily articulate to you, like these are the things that I that are my strengths and these are the things that are my weaknesses? Or is it hard for people to actually even identify that? What's been your experience? No. So in my experience, they're able to identify it. So I, didn't, I talk about this in my mentorship program and it's week one of my mentorship program. And what I have them do is create a video and talk about it. Because what people don't understand, I tell people all the time, I'm very strategic. But if you're sitting there and you're talking to yourself and you're talking about yourself, something happens, something clicks. So even though it's a homework assignment, you're able to identify it and you're able to look at yourself and see that, yeah, I'm talking about it and there's nothing wrong with me. I'm human. I'm okay. I can have this, this weakness. And it does something to you. And then when I get ready to meet with you and I talk about it, you say, Mr. Ty, I'm not good at that. And I say, well, you know what? I understand because I'm not good at so forth and so on. So, yes, they are able to identify it and they're able to vocalize it because, once again, it's that safe space. I don't try to make them feel bad for that. Got it. I like it. So, yeah, real practical way is, you know, record yourself. Talk about the things in your job that you enjoy, that you gravitate towards, that you feel like you're good at. And then let's talk about the things that you're struggling with and that, you know, I always and maybe as a, as a quick question before we go on to, you know, tip number two, are, is there like in your experience when you're talking with a director, there's a, there's a list of things that they excel at, that they're their strengths. And there's this area that, you know, Hey, these are areas of weakness for me mm-hmm. in terms of like development. How do you de- help a director determine like, Hey, do I work on those weaknesses to try to improve or do I just really lean into my strengths and, and delegate, like you said? Is that kind of what you find is like, hey, delegate your weaknesses because maybe it's not worth 
investing a lot of time to develop those when you have all of these other strengths where you should be spending your energy. I don't know if you have thoughts on that or how you kind of no, balance it. No, I agree. I agree. And when I'm giving my lecture on strengths and weaknesses, one thing that I say that actually sticks out to me, because sometimes I'm speaking and it just is downloading as I'm talking. But one thing that stuck out to me, as I said, when you have a person that is born with a handicap, most people will consider that a weakness of theirs because they cannot do whatever it is. But that person does not cancel themselves out because of that. They learn how to navigate through life with that disability. And it's the same thing as a director when you're running a business. Don't let that hinder you. Learn how to navigate through your duties with that weakness. And that may mean delegating. That may mean, hey, let it go. That's not even important in, in, in this realm. It's okay. It's, you know, it's, it's different things. One teacher, one director told me, well, I get, uh, I get social anxiety when I'm meeting new people because I just don't know. I said, but you just told me that you were good at making them smile and so forth and so on. I said, so rest in that. If you know that you're good at making them smile, to break it feeling awkward for you, make them smile. That way you can loosen up. Um, so, that's that's how I work with it. I, if they, I don't, I, I don't allow them to dwell in in their in their weaknesses because all of us have them. You did a good job of being able to identify yours. I, that's just how I, I, I go through. It. I like. I like that. I like that. All right. So, so number one, you got to, as a director, identify and understand and work within your strengths and weaknesses. And there's different ways that you can, you know, approach that through delegation, through growth, through training, but, you know, understanding strengths and weaknesses is number one. I see here on kind of our, our notes for the uh, podcast. Number two, you, you talk about knowing your handbooks and state rules and regulations. And I know that moves from like a, like a, I don't know, like knowing strengths and weaknesses is kind of like that psychological piece of like really high level understanding yourself. And then this becomes a really like tactical, like, you know, granular thing that you need to know. But obviously from experience, I'm assuming that you see a lot of directors that don't know that is why it's such a big deal. And guess what? Let me tell you why they flow in that order. I did it in that order. Because first, you're going to identify your strength and your weaknesses. And we know what those are. We talked about them. The next thing is your, your handbooks and your, and your rules and your regulations. Let me tell you why. Because if you're always speaking policy, then you have no reason to, I even, to even dwell in your strength and your weaknesses. Because everything that you are uttering can be found black and white. I teach my director that documentation beats conversation. So if you know these things, these are how you govern your center. You're not telling your staff to do something because, hey, this is what you want. No, per state rules and regulations, this is what we have to do. So then it combats your strength and your weaknesses because all you're speaking is policy. But in order for you to speak them, you must know it. So that's how I do it. Reminds me of like you're you're way too young for this, but I remember growing up there was a there was a cartoon called GI Joe, and they'd always have like at the end it would be like knowing is half the battle. Um, and it was like a little tip to keep kids safe and things like that. So you got to know, know your stuff, know your handbook, know your state regulations, all your licensing requirements. So know your strengths and weaknesses, make sure you know all the proper documentation. The third thing that you listed here, you talk about being accountable as a director, you need to be accountable. What do you mean by that? Hold yourself accountable to your state, your handbooks and your rules and regulations, right? If you don't hold people accountable, even yourself, you're going to have a train wreck. 
you're gonna you're, you're gonna be in a world of trouble because when you sat down or even when you were hired or you hired a team member, you gave them a list of rules and regulations that they had to follow. If you don't hold them accountable to that, you're gonna find yourself in trouble. You're gonna find yourself burned out. You're gonna find yourself overworked because they're not gonna be doing their job. You are. You have to hold everybody accountable, even yourself. And guess what? Yes, you do that even when you're short-staffed. Because if you're short-staffed, then that means you already know how to pick. So there's no need for you to allow someone to come in who's not being accountable. What do you have to lose? You're already short-staffed. You might as well at least try to find somebody to add to your team that's going to do the work. Yeah, I like that. What do you, like in your experience, like working within a center and talking with directors, what does that look like to be accountable? Meaning, is it like, hey, you were supposed to know this and you don't, so now there's a, a verbal warning or a written warning or there's a consequence? Is that what you mean by being accountable to yeah, those things? Absolutely, absolutely. It goes into it goes into a saying that I use that I learned once again when I was in corporate is coach up and coach out, right? So if you know that you told someone that their schedule was eight o'clock. And eight o'clock, they're supposed to be here. But then they get to the door and it's 18 and they tell you, oh, well, my child was sick this morning. And as much as you understand and you sympathize, it's still the rule is you're supposed to be here at eight o'clock. So you still have to write them up because you're holding them accountable and you're holding yourself accountable because that's what you told them that you were going to do. The moment that you don't, you know what's going to happen next week or even the next day? It's going to be another excuse. Yeah, yeah. Well, how do you... You mentioned a couple of minutes ago, which, you know, I say this, I think, on every episode, but a theme in the industry that we all know right now is is the challenge with, with staffing. So how would you, like, if I'm a director and I say to you, like, Ty, I love that idea. I love the idea of being accountable. And in fact, I agree with you, but I'm severely understaffed and I have this employee who's not following the rules, showing up late for work, and it's a consistent theme but I, I literally don't feel like I could do anything about it because I don't have enough staff as it is right now. How would you just like from your perspective, I'm, I'm sure that's not an uncommon thing that's happening right now. Like what, from your perspective, how, how would you handle that? Or what kind of advice would you give? I'm going to tell you something that happened to me just today, literally just this morning. Um, I'm not going to say that we're short staff, but we have just enough, right? So if I have somebody that I let go, that's going to hurt us. And I'm the regional director now. So I allow my director to make those type of decisions. I always say, well, hey, whatever you want to do, I support it and I give my advice. So I had a, a lady today. She's been working 10 days. And she's only worked four of those days. She's hmm. been hired for 10 days and only worked four of those days. And I let my director go on. But today I said, she's not a benefit to you. Either way you go, you have to look at the other side of it. I will challenge, I will challenge directors to say, hey, well, look at it, look at it this way. If this person isn't doing what you need them to do, and when they're late or in the, when they're not there, what do you do? Oh, well, I moved. So why would you allow yourself to put up somebody who's giving you subpar when you already know how to make it work? Why? Hmm, that's a good point. You're, you're wasting payroll dollars. Now, this same young lady who ended up quitting today, I had to end up sitting down and writing her a $400 check, and now she's gone. So I asked my director, I said, so now I wasted my time and my payroll dollars because you were too busy to make a, or too in your, see, this is the thing. You have to separate emotions and business. In business, you have no emotions. It's business. It's nothing personal. I could still love her. I still give her a hug when I see her out and about. Business-wise, you did not fit for the business. And that's what directors have to think about. What 
how are they benefiting the business? And if it does not benefit the business, you have to cut it off. Yeah, that's great advice because I think that's a really big challenge for a lot of not just childcare owners, but people in business or leadership in general. Mm -hmm. How do you separate a business decision from emotion? And it doesn't mean that relationships and personalities and, you know, that we're all human beings don't play a part of that. But there is a point where you also you're in a capacity where you're running a business. And we tell, you know, you know, at ProCare, we tell our customers this all the time. Like sometimes, you know, child care owners are like, oh, I feel bad asking people to pay their tuition on time, or I feel bad having parents meet policy. But it's like, look, you're a ni- your first and primary relationship with your customers is a business relationship. And if that doesn't work, everything else, you know, kind of like falls out of balance. And so you have to honor that. And like you said, keep everybody accountable. Keep everybody accountable because at the end of the day, your light bill company doesn't feel bad for sending you your, your payment, your invoice yeah. for your payment. And that's how you, and the thing is what people have to realize about childcare. And I think it's a touchy subject because we are doing such a, a thing, a, a service that requires your heart. But at the end of the day, it is a business. And those parents or your customers that come in, they expect a certain caliber of service. They expect your building to look a certain way. They they expect for your building to smell a certain way. Well, in order for you to do that, you have to make money. Yep. You got to get paid. You got to get the lights on. You got to be able to do all those things. And you're exactly right. And parents generally understand that but it's kind of like water they follow the path of least resistance and if they know that you know there's no consequence if i don't pay my tuition on time then that's what they're going to do that's just human nature and so but you know what though that's why handbooks and rules and regulations are the are are next because stop stop having those conversations that do not speak policy when you're speaking to a parent about a handbook one they should have signed it before they enroll which means that you go back to that very same document that they signed and say well mom Tuition is due on Friday. And in the event that it's late, you have until the day. And after that, we're going to terminate services. It's policy. Yep. Yeah. And that, and that plays into like your kind of that next point that we have on the list about consistency. Like accountability is one, but then like speak about consistency. Is it just like, I mean, as simple as saying, hey, you, you know, you understand the policy, you have procedures, you hold people accountable. And then you just make sure that you're always doing that. It's consistent. Make sure. And guess what? That consistency comes even when you're short staff. That's why the that's why my next tip is to be consistent. Because see, the thing about accountability, the same about our consistency is that there are always going to be things that try to derail you from doing both. But you have to remain consistent as to what you're doing. Because if not, you know whose job is going to end up being harder? The directors. Because yeah. you're not doing these things. Be consistent. I promoted a lady, one of my team members, to team lead. And it happens to be a mom and a daughter on the same team. And I, before I even promoted her, I said, so if your mother was uh, did something wrong, could you write her up? She said, yes, Mr. Ty. I said, okay, we'll see. Because at the end of the day, you have to be consistent. You cannot write one teacher up for something. Then if your mom comes and do the same thing, you're going to mm, just talk. Yeah. That's not how that works. You have to be consistent no matter what type of position it puts you in. Consistency. Consistency is key. I actually would love that. Like if my mom ever worked for me, I'd write her up day one just to get her back, you know, for some of that stuff back when I was a kid, when I got in trouble, I'd be like, I'm just writing you up this payback right now. (laughs) But that is a good, that is a good way to kind of like crystallize, you know, the importance of consistency. It's got to apply to everybody. And you got to have that, 
the framework, like you said, even when you're short staffed and things aren't going great, you do the things every day that you know are the right things to do. And, and that kind of like that last point that you have on this list, which I, you know, I like how these flow in, you know, together is, you know, be the example. So it's not, if I, if I'm reading through, you know, kind of, you know, the meaning of that, it's not what you say, but you've got to do it. You've got to walk the walk and the body of work is going to speak to your staff. Let me tell you, one thing that I hate that we that adults say to children when they grow up is do as I say and not as I do. That's not even practical. That's not how the world works, right? I agree. They're going to look at you and see what you do. We always say that people are products of their environment. They're products of their environment because of what they saw. So therefore, you, if you're trying to teach someone to be a certain way, you must first be the first person that's doing it. As a director, you can't tell me not to be late, be late but yet you're late. Yep. The, the, it, it just can't happen. You can't tell me to watch my tone when you're not watching your tone. It all goes together. You must be, as the director, you are the leader of a team. And if the head is wrong, the body is going to follow. So you have to make sure that you are being the example because they are following you. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great, and you're exactly right. And that just takes like the consistency of doing the right things every day. I think that's what you're saying. It's like being that person who, you know, understands the work that's required, not just saying it, but doing it and then holding people accountable to it. Yeah. yeah. You have to be the example of knowing the rules and the regulations. You have to be the example of accountability. You have to be the example of being consistent. You have to be the example. Yeah. All these things. The amazing thing to me is like so many of these things seem straightforward. And I think that's oftentimes like the case, like the things that are the most like impactful are the things that are right in front of us that we all maybe kind of know, but have to be reminded. It sounds like when you sit down with owners and directors and you're working through their business and trying to identify, hey, where can we go improve and optimize? In some ways, it's like, you know, recalibrating, getting back to the to the basics of the things that are important because easy to kind of deviate from that, right? Over time. And that, and let me tell you, I have worked with, a lot of childcare centers. And when I sit down and I talk to them, the problem, the root of their problem is that they deviated, they went rogue from these things. Some point in time, when it came down to your to the tuition, this parent gave you a story and you felt bad. And now you say, okay, well, you can pay me next week. Well, guess what? Now you got a whole chain of people that you done made yeah. that example before, right? Somebody was late and you understood. And now they're, now that when you, you have a team. So if one person do it, the next person is going to do it. When you sit back and you look, when I listen to listen to them, they're in the trouble that they're in because nobody was consistent. Nobody held themselves accountable to what they said they were going to do. Nobody really knows the handbooks. Nobody knows those things. So therefore, you're in trouble. And now you got to go back to this very same thing that I'm talking about. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard because it's hard to correct wrong. It, it is. And it would have been easier, but it's not impossible. And it's I think that's the key possible. to like the work that you're doing and a reminder to everybody is, hey, no matter how far off of the mark you've fallen on any one of those topics, it's fixable and it's correctable. That's the beauty of, you know, being a human being and continuing to grow. You can say, you know what? I haven't been accountable or I haven't been consistent, but that can change right now. That and I can get things back on track. Right. And and I want to add something to that because somebody is listening. They're going to get hold to it and, and do it. Be okay with losing certain people along the way. Because mm-hmm. when you go back to start over and really restructure your, your program, somebody is not going to like it. 
But guess what? It's I once again I'm country, right? So when I grew up, my grandmother would do something called pruning when it comes to flowers, right? And you have to cut off the dead part in order for the other things to blossom back fully. And that's the way you have to think about your business. If you're trying to restructure your program, cut off the dead weight so that you can go back and you can blossom to your full potential. So just be okay with people that may not be aligned with your vision because it's going to come out once you start getting back, getting yourself back together. Yeah, I think that's really wise, actually, for, for individuals that have experience. I think sometimes that value that you can add as a consultant or somebody coming in to, to let them know, like in advance, when you make changes, there are going to be some individuals, you know, maybe staff, maybe parents that aren't on board that, you know, of the changes you're making. You have to be okay with, you know, some people, you know, saying, I don't want to be a part of that to get yourself to a better place. So it, it, and I know we're, we're kind of running short on time. We were talking before we started recording too, like um, you and I happen to be, we're, we're doing this via zoom right now. We're going to, you know, possibly be able to see each other at a conference here over the next couple of days uh, as well, which will be fun. But if, if anybody in our audience wants to find out more about the services you provide and your business, or they listen to this and they're like, you know what, there's actually some content here that could be really valuable to me. How could our audience find you? I just want to give you a chance to share that. Um, I could be found on all social media platforms as the Child Care Whisper. That's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok as the Child Care Whisper. Um, I got my website is thechildcarewhisperer.com. If you would like to book anything uh, with me, you could always email admin at thechildcarewhisperer.com and we'll get you it'll get you right to uh to tie so it's the childcarewhisperer.com and this is uh Tyheem Clark goes by Ty and uh Ty it's been a lot of fun chatting with you today I know you're busy with not just running you know and doing some of the work you're doing but also working with your clients so we appreciate you carving out 45 minutes to an hour of your day and um I think uh, if you guys are interested, anybody listening to this episode and, and have some questions about how you can level up your director, have some questions about how you can kind of recalibrate, uh, go check out Ty's website. Again, it's thechildcarewhisperer.com. And uh, Ty, hope you have a great day. Thanks again. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Child Care Business Podcast. To get more insights on ways to succeed in your child care business, Make sure to hit subscribe in your podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if you want even more childcare business tips, tricks, and strategies, head over to our resource center at ProCareSoftware.com. Until next time.